Um, we're doing a series here at Portswood in our, our Bible teaching slots called God at Work. We've been thinking about um, really getting our heads around this amazing truth that following Jesus is for the whole of our lives, not just what we do when we're here on a Sunday morning or whenever it is that you meet together. It's about the whole of life. It's about our job. That's why we call it God at work. Or if we don't have a job, it's what we do for the major part of each day, how we spend our time with God. But God is meant to be part of all of it. As we've been uh, singing, actually, that's one, been one of the kind of theme songs of the series. I don't know whether you notice it, if you're a regular. There's another one about if the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house those who build it labour in vain. That's been another song that connects with this series. I hope we'll keep singing them afterwards, by the way. And what we've been doing is looking into the lives of people in the Bible who live their lives for God all of the time. But not in the usual kind of Bible roles, you know, people who are apostles or prophets or missionaries or preachers or or full-time Christian people, so-called, in that sense. Now, these have been people who've been in, in just regular, everyday jobs. Well, some of them have been a bit unusual, but they've certainly been in, in, in their normal working lives. And they've mainly been in the Old Testament, and they've mainly been actually more about men than about women. But today, we're going to be thinking of some other characters. We're going to be in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, and some of the people we're looking at today are women. So I hope that just kind of brings the balance out a bit. So today we're going to be looking into the book of Acts, and we're going to be looking uh, into this, uh, this big story. The book of Acts is a, is a big deal. It's the big story about how the good news of Jesus gets started in, in Jerusalem, and, and the early disciples are full of the Holy Spirit, and, and it spreads right across to Rome. And the book of Acts ends up with, with the good news being preached, the kingdom being declared in Rome by the Apostle Paul. So it's a really big story of what Jesus is carrying on doing. The, go, the Gospels about what he starts doing. Luke, who writes Acts as well as Luke's Gospel, says... Uh, I talked about what Jesus began to do, and the implication is this is what Jesus carries on doing as he fills his people with the Holy Spirit. And we see communities formed right across the empire. It's a big story, and there's some big characters in that story. People like Peter, people like James, people like Paul, people like Stephen, people like Philip, people who are kind of so big in one sense that they even get called saint, and they get churches named after them. I don't know whether you noticed that. Well, uh, there are also people who aren't called saint these days. There are others in this story of the book of Acts. And, you know, sometimes we miss them because we're so fixated on, on the big characters. But Luke, you know, he's writing and he doesn't want us to miss them. He actually bigs them up. We miss them because we think the really big characters are the professional Christians, as I said, the apostles, the prophets, the missionaries, the church leaders, the people who do this kind of stuff all the time. But Luke wants us to see that the story is about what everyone is up to, not just those people. And we're going to be looking at that. And one of the things, that the, the themes of our series has been this idea that you can't divide the, the, what you do in your everyday life, the secular world, and what we sometimes call sacred. God is concerned about the whole thing. And we see this particularly in uh, our stories in Acts. You know, I wonder, you know, if someone was to be writing up the kind of story of, of what God's been doing in our lives or what God's been doing in Southampton what God's doing uh, around here or where you're from, I wonder whether you could be one of these hidden heroes, so-called. 
You might not think you're doing much, but hey, who knows? God can make all kinds of things happen as we live for him. Well, let's meet some of them. We're going to start off, uh, someone's going to read from Acts chapter 9 as we read about the first one. Someone's going to do that. Katie, thank you. Acts chapter 9, verse 36, and that will be on page, um, I'll tell you, unless you're... No, just chapter 9, thanks. Can you come back for the next one? Yeah. Page 1103. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying, and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hands and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Thank you. So this is our first uh, hero, our our first character. I'm going to come over here, then I won't be about. Is that all right? Okay, we'll, we'll be... Okay, our first one. Dorcas, also called Tabitha. We read about her here in verse 36. There are three things that we discover immediately about her. First of all, it says here that she was always doing good. Quite literally, the original language says she was full of good works. That's the first thing. Then it says that she gave uh, to the poor... Uh, that's pretty much what the, the original says. It says she gave alms. She was uh, kind of involved in social activities of one kind and another. And uh, I'm going to move back here again because it's now booming. Uh, and, then, uh, uh, and then the third thing we read about her is that she died. Okay, three things about her. What is that it then? That doesn't sound very interesting, does it? What's it got to do with God in the workplace? Well, this phrase here good works, she's full of good works, we take it like the NIV has translated it when we hear it, we think good works equals your good deed for the day, you know, you're doing good to help people, helping old ladies across the road, that kind of stuff. But if that's what Luke meant, why did he also go on to say that she did acts of charity as well? He goes on to say she did good works and she also looked after the poor. Why does he say it twice, if that's what he meant, meant rather? You see, the phrase could also mean something quite different. Good work, in this case, could just mean that she did a good job. She did good stuff. There were good things going on around her. That's what it could mean. Well, why did she make so much impact in her town? When something happens to her, something quite remarkable, as we read, a miracle happens... Is it that the miracle happened, or was it that the miracle happened to her? Is there something about her and her life that made this miracle have much more impact across the town of Joppa than perhaps it would have been if it was somebody else? Let's see. 
What else do we have here in the story? Well, we see, we see Peter arriving. The believers in the Christian community send for Peter. He's an apostle. He's in a nearby town. He comes back and they, uh, because she's died. They obviously think he's just actually, there's been a miracle in a previous town. And they invite him to come back, presumably, to see if he could do something about it. But when he gets there, expecting to see a body, what does he see? Well, he sees a room full of widows. It says that, doesn't it? When Peter gets there, he gets to this room and, and it's got widows in it. And you think, well, who are these? Where have they come from? We haven't heard anything about them before. Well, it says that uh, Dorcas helped the poor. Widows were the poorest and the most helpless in society at that time, as they are in some societies, some cultures today. These seem to be the people that she helped. And it says here that, they, they, that she worked with them. There's that phrase again in the NIV that says that they showed her, they showed Peter rather, all these things that she's made. NIV says, while she was with them. And we think, oh, well, that's an idiom for saying when she was still around, when she was still alive. Is that what it means? Again, if you look into the, the original, it's not that clear. And I don't even know whether while they were with us was, is an idiom in the original language anyway. What you can read there is that these widows are saying to Peter, they were desperately upset that, that Dorcas, that Tabitha had gone, and they're showing her all these clothes, all these stuff that she's made, and they're saying, these are the things we used to make with her. She was with us. It seems that Dorcas or Tabitha had this business and she helped these people in her business. She helped give the widows either clothes to wear. Again, you might think, well, perhaps they were wearing clothes. But if you read the original, there's a list of all kinds of different clothes that she made. So we ca- we're getting a, bit, a slightly different picture here, don't we? This lady has been helping these widows with her business. She's a business lady, making good stuff, doing good work. And in her, the good work she did... She's helping the poor as well. She's a fascinating lady. She's involved in what some people call social enterprise these days, but that's another story. Well, Peter gets rid of the widows. He gets them out of the room so that he can pray. Those of you interested in in parallels will notice there's a very strong parallel between the way Peter deals with this and Jesus does when he prays for Jairus' daughter. Even the same words that Peter uses, only he says, Tabitha cum, and uh, Jesus t- says, Talitha come in Luke's Gospel. So there's a parallel. Uh, Peter is saying, this isn't me, this is Jesus that's doing it. Peter prays, the prayer is answered, and Dorcas comes back. Woo! She's back. She's with them. She's in the room again. Not just her body, but all of her. <laughs> the most important bit. The life is back in Dorcas. What does Peter do? Verse 41. He presents her to the people. Now, who does he present her to? Look at that faith verse in verse 41. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows. Why he, he distinguished between the believers and the widows? Could it be that some of the widows weren't believers? Some of the widows weren't part of the community that called Peter to come uh, come over. Some of the widows weren't expecting anything of this nature to happen whatsoever because they were not yet believers. They weren't part of the community. So no wonder verse 42 happens. It becomes known all over Joppa because these widows are in networks. They know people in the town. 
And the word gets out, it gets out through those people that this amazing woman, Dorcas, this woman, Tabitha, who's helped them in so many social enterprising ways, who's done great work, who's made the best fashion garments in town, who's helped the, the, the widows get, kind of get an income. She's died, but she's back again. And it's this Dorcas, is our Dorcas, everyone. And so people say, well, who's done that? Well, Jesus has done that. And people become followers of Jesus. So here's a believer. She's an ordinary businesswoman with a heart for the poor. She uses her skills for the poor, and the impact is enormous. As Jesus works in her life, quite literally, giving her life, physical life. Now, what can we learn from Dorcas? First, she's doing great work. She, does, she makes great, superb clothes that bless people. Her good work blessed the poor. Now, throughout this series, we've been seeing that God in our lives is there, uh, not just for us, but to bless others. And you see it right through Dorcas, and others will see today. Secondly, she's with people. The widows knew her. They loved her. She worked with them. They knew her kind of intimately. They knew all about her. She's completely involved in this world around. And we've been thinking in this series that God wants us to be involved in the world around, not separate from it. We need to be distinct within it, but we do need to be involved, as Dorcas was. Involved with these widows, with these unbelievers. And just by doing what she did every day, the Lord touched others. And when he touched her, when she was in need, the impact was astonished. Now, true, it's a rather unusual way that, that Jesus touched her life. He brought her back from the dead physically. Uh, maybe we're not going to be like that. Maybe we will, I don't know. But it would be very rare. But in other ways, God's power is seen in our lives. And other people see it. And if we're kind of with them... If we're living for God, then it will make an impact upon them. Dorcas, Tabitha, same name. Who did the miracle? Jesus. Who made the impact? Whose life was it that impacted everyone? Well, Dorcas. I mean, Jesus made the impact through Dorcas. So, what did Peter do? Well, he showed up and prayed, didn't he? So, who's the real hero here? Is it Peter, the, the Saint Peter, named of, of many um, churches and uh, you know revered of the church for over thousands of years? In Lydda, in Joppa, rather, the hero is Dorcas. That's one of the heroes. Maybe we can be like that with our lives. Let's have we got time to do? Yeah, let's uh, let's do a second one. That's Lydia in Acts chapter sixteen. Now, who's is that? You again, Katie? Thank you. Acts chapter sixteen. Verse 11, and that's on page um, 1111. Is that right? Yeah, thank you. From Toaz, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day to Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, the Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of these listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. 
the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So we've just heard about Dorcas and a great impact. Now we're going to meet someone else called Lydia, who uh, shows us an open heart. And we read about her, as we've just read, as Paul and his team come to the city of Philippi. They've now, uh, they're traveling around uh, the uh, Middle East, uh, Asia Minor. They've come across into Greece, as God is sending them to share the good news about Jesus with people across the ancient world. And Philippi is a very key city. And they've come to share the gospel there. And as usual, it was their practice to start with the Jewish community. And so the team, Paul and others, are, are looking for a Jewish community. And it seems that there, there wasn't one, an official synagogue in Philippi. You needed ten men to be like the quorum of a synagogue. And then once you got ten men, you could have a synagogue. And it seems as if there weren't enough Jewish men committed enough to form this synagogue. So instead, the the women, and maybe some men, but uh, less than ten of them anyway, would meet together in a place uh, to pray. And Paul, when he finds out there's no synagogue in the town, starts asking around, well, are there people praying here? And I guess he gets some stuff from some others. Well, say, well there, there is a group of people. They're weird, you know. They pray, but, but you know, they pray by the river. They don't pray in a temple. There, there's no God. I don't know who they pray to. There's no God in sight. There's just no God anywhere. And Paul says, oh, they, they must be the people, the Jewish community, because they're praying to the living God. So that's what's going on. Um, Paul finds out that there's a a group of people there and uh, he goes to connect with them. And one of the women meeting there is a lady called Lydia. And that's where we meet her uh, in these uh, verses. Uh, Can you just check that everything's okay? Thank you back there, David. Thanks very much. So what do we learn about Lydia? We've learned a few things about um, Dorcas. What do we learn about Lydia from here? Well, verse 14, we read that she's from the city of Thyatira. That's 200 miles away from Philippi. It's over the sea. It's in uh, Turkey, where uh, Paul Philippi is in Greece. It's over in, in the northern part of Turkey. She's come quite a long way. Over there in Thyatira, there was a particular plant that grew, and you could get a, a very rare dye from it. Actually, you, it, you could get it right up until the 19th century, and it was called Turkish red. It was a pigment that was used probably by many of the great artists over the years. And it seems that Lydia, she'd got a business, not unlike Dorcas, only perhaps hers was rather more high-end, because she was importing a purple cloth from Thyatira, presumably, into Philippi. Now, purple was a great, a really cool colour for the Romans, and rich Romans and Roman officers and, and their wives and so on would love to have stuff made out of purple. So you've got the picture. Here's this lady. She's a business lady. She's uh, dealing in high-end, expensive stuff, a big demand, an entrepreneur. There she is. She's in, Thyatira, uh, she's in Philippi, Lydia. What else do we find out about her? She's not Jewish. Uh, Luke says she's a worshipper of God. Now, that's a technical term. It means that she hadn't been committed to the Jewish faith. She was from a a non-believing background. And she's on the road. If there'd been an Alpha course then, or a Christianity Explored course, she'd have been in it. Because she was interested in finding out about God, and she connected with this group of Jewish women who were praying, and she was part of them. The third thing we discover is what well, God is at work in her. 
As Paul and his group tell this group of ladies and perhaps some men around the river all about Jesus, so Lydia believes. It says actually that God opens her heart and she with her entire household become believers and she's baptised and so are they. Right away too, she gets with what God is doing, what Paul and his group are doing. She says to them, did you see in the story, she absolutely insists... She says, you must, you've got to use my house now as your base. You want to reach Philippi? Yeah, I want to be with that as well. I've got a great house. It's a big house. Got loads of servants, loads of people in it. But you guys, why don't you use our house? Make that the base of what you're doing here. She gets right involved straight away. She's very sure about it. I love verse 15. It looks like Paul was, uh, and the others were not sure. They say, oh, no, Lydia, that's a bit over the top. And in the end, she kind of says to them, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Did you notice, by the way, that in the passage, the word we is used of the writer. Luke, who wrote Acts, was there. He met Lydia. He knows about this. He was there firsthand. So he remembers when she said, if, if you think I'm a real believer, then you're going to accept my house to use. He heard us say that. And he reports it in the dialogue in his book. What can we learn from Lydia? We see how God works. He's already working in Lydia before Paul and his crowd show up. She's looking for truth. Do you know how many people are there around us who may be in her position. People in our workplaces, people in the bits of life that we just live day by day are like Lydia. You know, if we never name the name of Jesus, if we just keep completely shut, not that we ram it all down people's throats, but if we never even mention anything about him, or we never even let it be known that we know God, how are we going to meet people like Lydia at work or wherever else we are? That's the first thing we can learn. Second thing about Lydia is that she gets right involved in what God's doing right from the get-go, as they say in America, right from the beginning. She's there, she's involved, she gets with what God's doing. We need to realise, you know, we can be useful for God. We can live lives that matter, that are significant for him. We can use our resources right away. You don't have to go on a training course to be able to share what God has done with you or given to you with other people. Training courses are very helpful. Do go on them. They're great. But don't think to yourself, I can't do anything until I become a fully qualified Christian person of some kind or another. Lydia was involved right from the go. I think that's great. And she's generous out of her success. She's open-hearted. People like that are so needed and they're so helpful. People with gifts and resources that they're willing to make available. People who maybe like Lydia have got a lot of money. She had a lot of money. People like Lydia have got big houses. That's not a big thing about having big houses and small houses. It doesn't matter one iota. But people like Lydia who have got it but don't flaunt it, but they don't hide it, but they use it and they share it and they support what's going on. And they're part of God's purposes and God's movement wherever we are. Could we be like that, those of us who are like Lydia? Now, Lydia's not really what you might call a workplace hero. But she begins to follow Jesus as she does that. All her successful acumen, her business skills, her resources are available immediately. 
You know, sometimes we think, oh, we shouldn't be successful. Well, we can be successful. We've seen Joseph and Daniel and Nehemiah. They were successful in their jobs. That's okay. But we do need to have hearts that are open to what God says and how we can actively follow him right where we are with our success if he's granted us to be successful. Let's meet our third and fourth heroes. Let me just tell you what Paul... Listen, this is a reference the Apostle Paul wrote about these two. My fellow workers in Christ, he says, they risked their necks for me. Not only I, but all the churches or the Gentiles, sorry, all the churches of the Gentiles, all the churches Paul planted, you know, the ones that we've got letters to, you know, Philippi and Corinth and and Colossae and Ephesus. Paul says, all of those churches are grateful to God for these people. Greet them, he says, and the church that meets in the house. Who, Who do you think they are? Have we ever heard of them? We only read of them in a few verses. But what a reference, what an impact, what a testimony to them comes from the Apostle Paul. Well, we're going to meet them now. They're called Aquila and Priscilla and uh, Hannah. Is it Hannah? No. Who's going to read? Tell me. Oh, Dan. Sorry, Dan. Uh, it's going to read. Sorry, I saw you move <laughs> Dan's going to read about them in Acts 18. It's another page. Just turn the page to Acts 18. Uh, yeah, please. This bit's from um, 18.1-4. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met um, a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Um, Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And then if you move down to verse 18, this bit's got quite a few strange names, so I apologise in advance. (laughs) Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Kentria because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and travelled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all of the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man and with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only of the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him into their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So, here's a, a married couple now, Aquila and Priscilla, they're called in Acts 18. Uh, every, every other reference to them, as the New Testament goes on, it's the order is reserved, reversed, rather. It's Aquila, Priscilla that's heard, uh, spoken of first. 
These are, again, Jewish background Christians. We read in the passage they've been thrown out of Rome. Sorry, And Paul meets them in Corinth. That's another big city uh, in uh, the ancient world, a very key place. And there in Corinth, he meets this couple who are tent makers. And Paul, he's a tent maker as well. Now, now what does that mean? He, I mean, he's, he's on his own. He's got no money. You can read that around. So he works alongside them until his friends, who are expecting to come over from Athens, arrive, presumably with some funds and so on. So what's a tent maker? Well, we think of it like millets, don't we? We think of tents, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, maybe up more. Sorry, that shows how down market I am. I, I'm trying to think of the other one, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. But we think of, but, uh, and certainly you, you did have tents for leisure, I suppose, in the ancient world, but they were a vital necessity for traveling around. And actually, they were often made of, of thick animal hide, you know, and uh, not the kind of things easy to put in a backpack, really. Um, and often they're made of leather. And so tent makers were also leather workers. And again, you know, lot, you can, it's amazing what you can make out of leather. You know, we, we have trendy things. There are cups out of leather, leather now and bins and, you know, desk things. Well, uh, in the ancient world, leather was a great material. You didn't have bins and, you know, letter racks, I don't think. But you had other more useful items that were made out of leather by people who were tent makers. It was a very skilled job. And Priscilla and Aquila also were successful. They had houses, we read, in two places in the New Testament, both in, in Ephesus and in Rome. Uh, that they, they, were how, they were places where um, they had whole churches meeting in their house. Their houses were big enough for congregations to meet in. And they stay with Paul in Corinth. And then when Paul moves on to Ephesus, they go with him. And they wait around in Ephesus, which is another great big city in the ancient world, while Paul goes on back to Antioch, uh, and then they're back in Ephesus when Paul returns. Later, when uh, he uh, writes to Timothy, uh, he talks uh, about uh, a house, um, a church in their house. We also read in Rome, uh, in Romans, that they have a church in their house in Rome. Now, these guys, they're not apostles, they're not missionaries uh, full-time, they're not kind of Christian professionals, but Paul calls them, what? That his fellow workers. There was no different in Paul's mind between these guys and Peter and the other disciples. They were people who were stuck in with him into mission, into what was happening. They were people who were great in relationships. They were people who shared their resources. And their solid backup enabled the gospel to make progress in Corinth, which was a really tough place. You can read it in Acts chapter 18. As well as in Ephesus, which was even tougher. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 19. And they literally saved Paul's life. And in verses 24 to 28, we see them uh, spotting Apollos. He's a believer, another believer with a Jewish background. He's come over from Alexandria. Alexandria was the Oxbridge of the ancient world. There was a great university and a massive library there. It was a place where the Greek version of the Old Testament was developed. There was a character called Philo of Alexandria. If you know about ancient, ancient world, Alexandria was a key place. So Apollos is almost certainly a bit of a big brain and a guy who knows a lot of stuff. He's very gifted. He's very talented. He's a heavyweight intellectual and a skilled arguer. But as you read the text, He's got a few things not quite straight about Jesus and about John the Baptist. And what do Priscilla and Aquila do? They take a bit of a risk, really, perhaps, because I think he's quite a fiery character by all accounts. They get alongside him. They look after him. They welcome him into their home. They help him to see things a bit more clearly. 
And if you go on to read verse 27, uh, Apollos goes on from them with their recommendation back to Corinth where he's really useful. And when Paul writes the letter to Corinthians in chapter 3, he talks about Apollos watered. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. Apollos was kind of equipped and developed as a, ro- as a result of time spent with Priscilla and Aquila. I don't know how much lasagna he ate with them. They were from Italy, they were Italians. I don't know how many times they had discussions. We don't know anything more except they loved him, they looked after him, and they helped him get straightened out and useful for the future. What can we learn from these people? All of their life was for God. There was no division between the Christian stuff and the secular. Paul helps them in the business. He works with them in the business. After a while, he carries on with preaching and leaves the business. They carry on with the business. It doesn't make any difference. There's no difference. They're still involved with him. The whole thing is all one to them. That's their heart. You know, we can be like that in our lives, you know, at work, where we spend our time. It's all God's. We can do it for him wherever we are. Secondly, they had a really strong heart for people. Their relationships with Paul, their relationships with Apollos, the churches in their house, the way they just carry on business, blessing people. You know, we need to love people like that, don't we? A strong heart for people in our workplace, where we are day by day, in our neighbourhood. They had a strong hold on the truth. Apollos needed help, they took a risk, they could see he hadn't quite got it right, so you know, they, they gently and lovingly have him in the home and say, well, Apollos, you, did you know this about Jesus? You know, you're right, John the Baptist did that, but you, know, you need a bit more, Apollos. And they kind of lovingly did that with him. We need that strong hold on the truth as well. Strong on relationships, strong on the truth. But you know, they had a loose hold on some things. They had a really loose hold on their resources. Like all these successful people that God touches, they were just happy to share them, happy to use them for the good of the gospel. We need to be those kind of heroes, don't we? Priscilla and Aquila were. And they had a loose hold on their security. The amazing thing about Priscilla and Aquila is the number of places they lived in the ancient world. They start off in Rome. Now, admittedly, they were thrown out of Rome. And if you're interested, Suetonius actually refers to that in the secular writings that connect with what Luke is saying in Acts. And then they go to Corinth. Then they're in Ephesus. Then they're back in Rome. You know, these were guys, this was a couple who didn't, you know, seem to be, hold their own agendas loosely. Well, we have to move on. We have to move on. If the Lord's moving us on, we'll do that. We'll go with what he's saying. Flexibility to move on when the Lord wants us to be. Do we need to be those kind of heroes? No, mobility in the ancient world, safe mobility was a really key part of how the good news spread. And Apollos, uh, Priscilla and Aquila are not the only examples of it. We live in that kind of world today. I was going to say, although maybe as you look at Libya, uh, you might not think it. But generally, we have a safe world. We can move around we can go to places where, you know, with safety and just live and work and share our lives with people if that's what God asks us to do. We need to be open and available and flexible to be those kind of heroes. So there are these heroes. Dorcas, who makes such an amazing impact. Lydia, who's got that open heart. Priscilla and Aquila, we see this fantastic teamwork together and with other people. As we finish, some themes that are common to all of them. 
All these heroes live life well. Where they are, they do a good job. They just get on with what God's called them to do and they do it for him. Whether they're making tents or making stuff for widows or whether they're uh, doing whatever else, preaching the gospel, it's all God's and they just get on and do a good life. They live life well in a good way for God. All these heroes have a heart for others. And we see that through Nehemiah and Daniel and Joseph. We've seen that too. They want others to be blessed through them. They know that God is blessing them so they can bless other people or God can bless other people through them. All these heroes are available and open for God to use them wherever they are, in their lives, in their way. Joseph, even when he was in prison... He couldn't help it, you know. He, he was open for God to use him with the jailer and the, you know, the, the, sorry, the baker and the butler and the jailer and so on. They were just open. Nehemiah, as that civil servant, is open to what God will kind of do through him. All these heroes hold on to their resources really loosely. And all these heroes found way to honour Jesus, honour the Lord in their everyday living right where they are. They didn't sit around waiting for something big to happen. They didn't wait to go on a course. They didn't say, oh no, I'll I'll, I'll be available to God, you know, once I've done this or once I've done that. Sorry. They were just there, right where they are, available in the moment to be God's people right there. So the question is, can we be these kind of heroes in our lives at work? Or the place where we spend most of our time if we're not working in our neighbourhoods? We can. Because the same Holy Spirit who filled them, fills us. And just as they were enabled to live for God in their workplace and wherever they were, they, they didn't have any more than we have. So we can live for him. Let's do that for his glory. Amen. Guys, thanks.